Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Today, welcome on the show, Aaron Norris. Aaron, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. <laughs> we were just chatting about your cool background. I'm going to have to get something like that set up on mine. But yeah, looking professional there. I love it. Thank you. Well, hey, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you come from, your kind of sure. development in the world of real estate investing, if you will. Okay. I started flipping houses with my dad at the age of five for, I say, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So <laughs> I've been around real estate since I can remember. I took a I guess, a life break in New York City as a professional performer. So I got to tour the world paying for what I would have done for free, but uh, really fell, cool. in, fell into a Wall Street gig doing acquisition and merger presentations in between paid acting gigs. Really liked it. And a family event led me back to California. Mom got cancer and I had some injuries that caught up with me in my 20s. So I had to switch gears. So I fell into marketing and PR in the construction business. And I ended up back at the family business doing hard money and real estate investing. And so I'm a mortgage loan originator in California and Florida. I'm a buy and hold person personally, a single family residential. I build to rent. I do private notes in my IRA. And then that's where I met Sean O'Toole. So uh, Property Radar is a tool that I used to use as a hard money lender to find flippers and uh, communicate with them. So I know we'll talk about Property Radar a little bit more, but I came on full-time last June as VP of Market Insights. So I teach nationwide real estate investors, mortgage professionals, realtors, how to get excited about public records and ways to find off-market opportunities. And I also work with a lot with media, showing them the nuance in the data and things to explore and interesting stories and data. Awesome. That's a solid intro. So hardest you've tried to get away from the world of real estate investing, it just kind of keeps dragging you back to it in some fashion or another. And you know what? I know we'll get into that question later, but I wish I would have started a little bit earlier in life. I was a little nervous. I thought, you know, coming from generations of real estate investors that I had to be something that I was uncomfortable being. I didn't ended up not falling in love with flipping. I love buying to hold. I love being a landlord and it allows me to do other things. I love to teach. I'm very passionate about helping others and I can do it all. And I tell my story about how I used to be a creative because you can literally come from anything. And this business has been very generous to me. There's room for you and you don't have to be something that you're not. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Talking about data, I think there are two types of real estate investors, those that absolutely love the data and make decisions totally based on data and those that are like, ah, uh, that's for my partner, right? <laughs> so today we'll probably talk a little bit more about the data side of things. But uh, tell us you know, why data is important and how it can be used for real estate investors specifically. You know, before you fall asleep, because we're saying the word data, I, I need to get you excited about data because right, this business is going to consistently be more data-driven and you're going to end up wasting a lot of money if you're not data-driven and your competitors are out there. Main Street is now actively competing with Wall Street at all different kinds of asset classes, single-family residents, multifamily. They've got data and it's not just for Wall Street anymore. There's no excuse. The tools exist like property radar. So you got to get into it. <laughs> yeah. All in love with data. Yeah, for sure. No, I totally agree. 
Tell us a little bit about Property Radar, what it does and how it helps investors. Sure. Let's start with the users. So the users that we have are single family residential investors, realtors, mortgage professionals, and even home services. We often say anybody who needs a consistent stream of leads use Property Radar. So we have mortgage people and property data and over 200 fields to layer. So you throw me a niche and we'll talk about ways to get a lot more hyper-local. So instead of going to your local title rep and bugging the hell out of them, asking for another list of absentee owners, we can do better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's kind of maybe throw out a scenario then. Maybe you're a beginning real estate investor looking to house hack your first small multifamily property, duplex, triplex, or fourplex. Obviously, you got to live in a you know proximity to where you want. So you, sure. you've got an area nailed down. How could Property Radar help that user? So you could go to title and think you're being very fancy and be like, you know what? I would like absentee owner list of owners that have owned for 10 years in the zip code. We can do better. <laughs> so ways to maybe consider slicing and dicing is demographic data. How about we only talk to owners, forget 10 years, let's talk to owners that have owned for over 25. Why? Well, they've probably taken all their depreciation out of the asset. And so they've, you know, you can approach them in a very different way. What if we're only talking to landlords that own over 10 properties and are over the age of 65? There Why? you go. Okay. As we okay. get older, we tend to become net sellers of real estate. And for somebody just getting in the business who wants, we're going to talk about wholesaling in a second. But for the house hacking piece, if you want to get creative and you're talking to somebody who has many assets, I found in this business, yes, people want to make money, but there's, I've always found very generous people in this industry willing to give me a shot if it makes sense. So if you approach people the right way, Maybe you're tired of tenant toilets and trash. You've owned this asset for 25 years. Can we work out a deal? Can you carry the paper? Can you let me fix it up and let me own it, but you know, with no payment for the first six months so I can recuperate that investment? And then I'll pay you for you know, the next 30 years after with a consistent stream of income. So you know, demographic data, ownership data, there's ways to slice and dice to where instead of marketing to a very general broad list and you sending yellow letters, you can call. You can connect with people on social media. You could door knock the owner's primary residence. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Right? No, it's funny. I'm smiling because I've done just that, Aaron. You know, I've reached out to a property owner and said, hey, look at me, baby face, new investor. I love your property. I want to do what you're doing. Would you sell me your property? And then you start that conversation. And next thing you know, you've got a property. Now, someone might be thinking, okay, why do I need all this data? Why do I need, you know, to go to a place like Property Radar when I've got my local MLS or Zillow. Well, today's answer might be a little bit more obvious than it was in the past, but if you're looking on market deals right now, nationwide, we just have a very low inventory of homes mm -hmm. for sale, small multifamilies for sale, property values are high, on-market deals are competitive. Property Radar gives you the ability to go out and find off-market deals. I think that's a huge advantage. What's your thoughts there? Why? And we pre-append contact information as well. So emails and phone numbers are in the system. And so when you look at a property, you're getting insights into the zoning, the square footage, the number of bedrooms, the number of bathrooms, the last transfer. So the title history, you can buy documents, you can see the contact information, you can see if it's owned by a couple, maybe you're a female and you're just a beginner. And so you decide to play that female angle and contact the female joint owner. You know, there's a lot of nuance that Zillow and, you know, Public records are free. They're also very messy. But oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> you could go down to your assessor's office. You can go to the recorder's office. You should probably go through the journey of how painful public records can be. 
Every county is different. There's over, over 3,100 counties nationwide, and they're not all the same. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, like you feel like you get the system out in your county. You're like, I'm going to go look in the next county. It's like totally different tax assessors, processes, websites. They might not even be digital. You might have to physically walk to the courthouse and it's get true. information. <laughs> I was just talking. I did an interview with an investor yesterday who talked about that somewhere in Kentucky where there was like a card. Everything was still paper and it took time. So yeah. We've just come such a long way in being able to also overlay things like distress data. So pulling on all these data sets on an ongoing basis is so incredibly powerful. So you as a real estate investor can spend more time talking to the people that are more likely to transact with you. I'm not making fun of the people who do general farms, but if you are doing direct mail and you're marketing to a list of 10,000 when you more than likely should only be talking to 50 people, the chances that you're going to blow your marketing wad one time and be out of the business is really high. Yeah, yeah, totally true. Now, kind of paint a picture for what this data looks like because people might have a misrepresentation of what it is. They might just envision piles and piles of Excel spreadsheets and you're just sifting through oh, line no. by line, but it's actually very digitalized and user-friendly and really like easy to kind of digest and manipulate, right? So kind of paint a picture for what that would look sure. like for a, a new investor. So I wish I, I know this is a podcast or uh, yeah. I would show you something because there, there's a lot of different ways. And I think what makes property radar so powerful is the visualization. So we have a framework called the DECA framework. So discover, understand, connect, and automate. Discover is where we create the generalist. So let's go back to that example. We're like, hey, we're looking for multifamily to up to four. I want to find somebody who's owned for over 20 years. I don't want anything that's you know pre-1950s. So, and I want to back into this area, let's cut like a city and I can create a list and that list is going to be able to, in property radar, divide two different views, a person view and a property view. And it gives me further insights in the demographic side and then the property side. How long on average are people owning these properties? How much debt is in place? What's the size? And then I can sort of get some ideas, even if I don't know the area very well of like, you know what? I didn't think about that, but I don't want those. So I'm going to rebuild my list and refine it. So instead of a larger list, maybe I don't do direct mail at all. Maybe I just give really good phone. Maybe I'm so good on the phone, I never send a piece of direct mail. I have investors that do that. So all of a sudden you're talking to 50 of the perfect list just for you. And you can do that over and over again, write personal letters, real yellow letters instead of automating it. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's more of like a rifled approach as opposed to a shotgun approach, right? Correct. And building those relationships. And there's so much nuance in local data. I love I interviewed an 80-year-old, one of my favorite people in California. He's 80 and he's just got this hustle about him. And there's, I love this, it. <laughs> there's a movement in California. You may have heard the term called accessory dwelling units. So yeah, 80 years, says, right? Correct. He's looking for a specific block. He's narrowed it down to a block. He's built one ADU and his target is what he calls dingbat rentals. He wants to contact these homeowners where on this block, the primary house is built in the front and there's a detached garage in the back that faces an alleyway. He's basically just going to put a fence down the middle, build with his own money ADUs. He's not even going to own the property. He's making these deals with the property owners that, hey, you're going to sign a forgiveness note with me. When you pass on, your kids are going to inherit this property with an income unit in the back. But in the meantime, I'm going to build it and create the income. It's just hilarious, but it's block specific. So public records is a great place to start. But that hyper-local insight, maybe you know something about a flood zone. Maybe you know in Houston that a specific area, some landlords are struggling because they just never had the money. They didn't have the correct insurance. You know, what are those fine details that are, will never be in public records? 
and you've got the inside detail to really go after it, that's when it's magic. Wow. Yeah. Now you can kind of start to see the power of, you know, being able to like kind of build lists, filter lists like this all through data, right? As opposed to getting on Zillow and being like, let's see what houses are for sale in my area. And they're all retail priced. And if you're in Austin, they're 20% over retail. And right. So. Yeah. And there's so much is so hot right now. Believe me, I know we have quite a few California investors. I warned them, you better change your license plate real quick. They'll chase you down in Texas. (laughs) My sister actually moved to Texas and I have a lot of family in Houston. So, you know, exploring new areas, it doesn't have to be difficult if you have the right tools. And Zillow is a great tool. I mean, geez, they just, you know, a couple of years ago, they spent a million dollars on the Zestimate, but, you know, and Zillow is buying houses in the single family space right now. So Wall Street is your competitor in many of these markets. So you just have to get better. Yeah, sure. Now, this might sound like a pretty advanced strategy to someone maybe tuning in that's a little earlier on in their investing journey. Like, sounds like some data for the big boys, right? But this is actually very usable and should be implemented by, you know, just everyday, you know, beginner investor. Yeah, data need not be scary. It needs to be visual and actionable. And even as a beginner, you should be using data at some level to not waste your time. There's a few mistakes that I see people make. Number one is what we call chocolate versus peanut butter. Chocolate is what you bring to the business. Peanut butter is the data. Chocolate is where I see the majority of the people make the biggest mistakes. One of the reasons I love to share my story of being an actor and coming into this business is that I think it shows that you can come from anywhere. And I think it's what really makes you special in this business is that you can carve out a niche that gets you jumping out of bed in the morning, really excited. If you tell me that you're an introvert with no money, no time, and you're going to be a wholesaler, I'm going to tell you, you're going to hate life. And maybe this is the wrong business for you. Let's cut to the chase because I'm going to start talking to you about off-market strategies like door knocking and soliciting, you know, human contact. And you're like, I hate my life. When if I would have known that up front, I could steer you things to like, let's look at upzoning opportunities. Let's look at you creating deals in the data, lot splits with accessory dwelling units or something that's already been upzoned and it's not currently being used to the highest and best use of that particularly zoned property. It's just, I just need to know. (laughs) And then let's back into the time, talent, and treasure. And talent is another place where the actor side, I'm an extrovert. There are some strategies that I'm going to do much better than an introvert in and vice versa. So, and you bring specific skill sets if you're in sales. Now, if I read your bio correctly, you have a background. Is it insurance, fire, something related? Yeah, my education is in fire protection and engineering. (laughs) Yeah, my background's in fire protection engineering. And I work in uh, oil and gas engineering, really. But all of a sudden, you and I can have a conversation about mineral rights that you would pick up or a fire damage that might not scare you as much as somebody who doesn't know that journey or what that's like with insurance. That's what I mean. Like, What's the nuance in the skill set that you bring forward in this business that we can just leverage and jump from there and make you feel at home in this business? That gets me excited. The data is there all day. I have 200 fields to build up your specific interest. It's just focusing on that chocolate first and I'll meet it with peanut butter. So we can create that peanut butter cup. That's the fun part. No, I like that. That's that's a really good analogy. I like it. When I was first kind of getting started in this world of trying to analyze data, Aaron, I was going to places like ListSource, not to name drop other places, but, you know, starting to try to build lists. I'm like, okay, well then what's this field of high equity mean? Why do I care if, uh, you know, the owners Hmm. own the property for 10 plus years or lives out of state? That one's maybe a little more obvious, but there's all these kind of like, you know, intricate fields. I'm like, what am I trying to build here? Like, I don't know, a multifamily with 10 plus years ownership and 50% equity. I'm like, I don't know why 50 versus 30, why 50 versus 80%. I don't know. I'm just building stuff over here. I don't even know what this data is doing for me. Where does someone start if they're just like trying to like figure out what are you even looking for? 
You know what? There's a few different things you can do. You could start asking around. Like if you sort of really understand what you're wanting to do and like, let's go to the millennial who just decides that they're going to get into multifamily. And I beg them to. I love taking phone calls from millennials and I sniff them out pretty quickly. I'm all, you don't own a home, do you? Like, no. How did you know? I'm like, you're a millennial, aren't you? They're like, yes. <laughs> I was like, what is it with you guys and not wanting to own? I'm like, can I please convince you to at least consider a duplex to fourplex so you can go through the process? I think the concept of owning one is really important. If you don't ugly cry in your first transaction, you haven't done it right, you know, for you to really understand how difficult real estate can be and expensive, it's important. But then you also have bought into the concept of owning real estate and its importance. So, you know, let's get into the fourplex and diving into the data and where do you want to live? What's the lifestyle that you want? Who are you going to get to be your neighbors in the other three units and how to be a landlord? You know, man, that alone is super packed with a lot of experience that I think people should have. Those are some things I didn't think of before buying my first rental property, like the landlord component, especially, right? Like, cool, you got a house and now you got a tenant. How the fun starts. Yeah, this is my first little cycle as a landlord and it's been interesting. I've had a lot of lessons. I really enjoy being a landlord and maybe that's my problem. I'm like, oh no, your dad died again. I'm so sorry. Of course, don't pay rent. <laughs> yeah, you're going to need to hire a property manager with that attitude. I have slowly but surely started to do that more so I can have more time doing the things that I know that I'm good at. <laughs> sure. Well, Aaron, I look at data like as, the, as a tool to allow you to make better decisions, right? Sure. Maybe you know something in your market or you're trying to figure something out. You can just go to the data. I'm very data-centric. Like when I'm talking with my friends or family, I'm like, give me the facts first, right? Other people kind of maybe scare some away, but maybe talk about some of those decisions you can make better when you have this data at your fingertips. Yeah, I'm always looking for life events. So we've talked about, the. I think the demographic data on top of property data is probably some of the most powerful that people don't think about. So you're looking for life events. There's always going to be death, disease, divorce, drugs, life events where people have to sell. So I have a lot of media contact me right now. And actually, I'm doing it today. I'm providing foreclosure charts, notice of default charts for different areas. And I'm like, I don't really have that much of a story to tell you. And if you were a real estate investor going after distressed data, you know, maybe there's not a lot of equity. Can there still be a deal there? Yeah. Yeah. What if somebody bought a multifamily last summer and put 3% down? Are they sitting on a ton of equity? Probably not. They probably wouldn't be able to sell without writing a check, a personal short sale, we'll call it. <laughs> um, right. But maybe there's a way to get creative and work out some kind of deal. This is not a beginner strategy. You know, All-inclusive deed is trust, subject to existing mortgage, and there's a lot of risk. You have to do your homework and disclosures. It's not a beginner strategy, but you never know. Or you know, dealing with the absentee owner completely that is, like we've said, owned it for a really long time. And they're, you know, up in their age and they don't want to deal with tenants anymore. And they also haven't repaired the place in a long time. Sometimes you can time things. So let's say there's a property that was built in 1980 and you drive by and you can tell whoever owns it, they haven't done a thing. You know, it's got glitter Since popcorn ceilings. Yeah. It's got glitter popcorn ceilings on the top. It's got the rounded oak cabinets. You just know. So you could almost time specific reach out based on the property age. So, you know. There's so many different ways to slice and dice the data. It's just trying to uncover who's more likely to want to do business with me and why. Now, when you're often looking at off-market deals, most people are trying to find some level of distress. And I've, I kind of categorize distress in two buckets. You've got maybe seller distress, right? Maybe you know, they've had a recent life event or you know, they've got a for rent sign in their front yard. They're an out-of-state landlord with a vacancy. 
or maybe the property itself is in distress. It's got the popcorn ceilings and hasn't been updated in 30 years. Or it's I swear it's going to make a windows. comeback. It's going to get cool again. It, only if it has <laughs> glitter, though. <laughs> of course, of course. So, you know, you might be looking at something like that, trying to find distress, whether it's in the property or in the demographic of the owner, right? It's a great point. And distress doesn't necessarily mean it's going to enter foreclosure. It's just the person behind the scenes has a need to sell. And, you know, it's so weird. I have people on Facebook. I've had this conversation with somebody who's just like, oh, real estate investors, they're stealing, you know, equity. I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of reasons why people want to go off market and they'll never talk to a realtor. And if a realtor approaches them, it's going to be a no from the get go. Mm -hmm. There's personal situations, it's timing, it's personality, it's family. So, yeah. Distress comes in a lot of different forms and it doesn't necessarily equate to something being in foreclosure. And that's a really good point. Maybe advice to someone just getting started out thinking I'm going to pick up the phones or send some direct mail to a distressed owner. And you might feel like you're going to be insulting this person, right? But you've got to come to it from like a win-win perspective. Like, hey, you've got a problem that I've realized. I think I've got a solution. Let's come to some terms, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like you're calling the owner up and being like, I'll take your property for pennies on the dollar and please and thank you. You know who's popularizing what we do is iBuyers right now. So you're familiar with iBuyers? Not exactly. So tell us about it. Okay. iBuyers are Zillow, Redfin, Opendoor, Knock, American Partners of America, which Realogy has announced their partnership. It's the idea of a cash offer to homeowners. They don't want everything. They're not specifically after like the We Buy Ugly Houses stuff. They don't want people or property problems, but they're assisting people. So in hot markets like Texas and California, people can exit with a cash offer. So their next phase of their life is contingent free. Now, before COVID, they were very aggressive doing some crazy things like back in 2019, only almost offering full market value. Now, you probably have heard uh, maybe Opendoor. Opendoor went uh, public last year. Now that these companies are having to disclose how much money they're losing on these properties, the game is that they're vertically integrating their services. So it's not just the buy sale side, it's mortgages, it's closing. Uh, open door said they even want to get into insurance. So they're making a little bit of money in a lot of places. And yeah. unlike Main Street real estate investors, you know, if you're going to flip, you probably have a formula, 80% of after repair value minus repairs, whatever it is formula you like to use, you know, they're not operating in the same scope and it's hard to compete. But yeah. they are bringing that cash concept. And because the market is so hot, they're probably doing us a huge favor. <laughs> and how, what do you mean by that? Doing us a huge favor, how so? They're making the concept of a cash close and the benefit of leaving some money on the table for uh, that. Okay. Yeah, thank you. For the service. You're getting cash. People aren't walking through your property. You know that you know a buyer's not going to have a snag with their loan or the sale on their side. You know, sometimes you're in these deals that are five contingencies deep and you know somebody in the back messes up and it blows up the entire thing. So in other words, hey, owner, you have a $100,000 house. I'm willing to offer you $90,000 cash. I can close in 14 days, no contingencies. It'll be super, you know, hassle-free. Right. right. Well, and we call it the buy box of, you know, the prop tech is really changing some of the language in our business, but the buy box of what they want to buy changes in every market. Even here in California, I've seen them in along the beach in LA buy a million dollar condo where where I'm at in the Inland Empire, they won't touch condos unless it's in um, Palm Springs and it, it's a very different price point. So they are in Texas. The majority of them are in Texas and in Houston. Yeah. So you can't necessarily go sell your house to one of these iBuyers in rural Oklahoma, for example. Correct. Yeah. They're in major markets, but they're growing. So I think the, one of the most exciting things is watching some of the major real estate brands like Realogy. 
announce partnerships with these iBuyer models so their agents have this tool. And I love the combination of sort of this prop tech uh, cash approach with that local boots on the ground realtor. So I'm hoping realtors are going to come to the dark side and realize, yeah, these iBuyers aren't after the ugly ones. They're not going to help us and clients with the nasty ones, or they're never going to talk to realtors to begin with. But I think it's going to be more top of mind and acceptable moving forward because you've got these big companies in the space. Yeah, sure. Aaron, what advice would you have to someone maybe getting started trying to find their first off-market deal? Maybe let's go back to that scenario of you know a small multifamily and they're going to dive into the world of you know trying to sort through some data and figure out what to look for. What are some like tangibles that you know someone can do like that? Take the world wholesaler out of your mouth. Wholesaler, if you go to your local real estate investor club and you use the word wholesaler, you'll probably notice an eye roll because for those of us who've been around in the industry a long time, for me, that definition has changed. I know a professional wholesaler is spending five figures minimum marketing every month to a very highly targeted market and they know their customer and buyer that they're going to assign to. These are marketing companies. Yeah. Wholesaler, when a newbie shows at a club and says, I'm a wholesaler, means you don't know what you're doing. You want a mentor that's going to take you to lunch for free and magically send you deals. <laughs> you <laughs> not, don't know. Not who, on wholesalers because there's some really good ones out there, but there are have that, that stigma of like, you know, newbie. Yeah. Right? And I don't want to frustrate you, but you really have to know who you are and the skill sets you bring to the table. And it's good. Own it and figure out who you want to be in the space. Don't call yourself a wholesaler. I think when you're ready to say you're a bird dog, a bird dog to me, when you say that word, I'm like, all right, you know exactly who your target seller is, who you're going to assign to, or who you're looking for inventory. It means you're focused. You know the inventory type you're going after, the owner types you're going after. You're much more focused. You know who you bring to the table, your chocolate, and you're backing it up with good data. You're good to go. So Really focus on that chocolate. It is great to be who you are. There's room for you in the business. Just figure that out and then become data-driven. Now let's talk about the investor as opposed to the wholesaler. What about that aspiring investor wanting to buy their first fourplex per se? What could they do, you know, diving into the world of data? What do they look for? Any kind of actionable advice for that person? To stock people. There's that's an option the of property data, right? radar. <laughs> become a stalker. In Property Radar, there's a really great function of find flippers. Over the last 365 days, it identifies flippers in a market. Find out what people are doing. Where the majority of the action is taking place, there's probably a reason why. And you can start identifying the level of rehab they're doing. Maybe you're in a market where you make mistakes like I do. I over-improve because I want to really be proud of my product. And it doesn't make you any more money. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Find out what people are doing, what they're buying and why, the level of rehab they're doing. You could be in the business six months and just stalk people and learn a ton. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think uh, it's definitely a unique advice. Like, you know, it's supposed to like looking at, like going back to like that large shotgun approach, right? Looking at these giant lists as opposed to like going like, hey, I know I want to live in this town, obviously, right? This is where I live. I know I want to live in this property type. I know I want to live on this side of town. Now I kind of figure out, okay, who's going to own these properties? And then if you kind of start breaking it down like that, you understand how to build these filters as opposed to like me when I was first starting out, I'm like, high equity, out-of-state owner, distressed property, pre-foreclosure. I don't know, like all these things. I layer all these like filters on each other and it's like, you have zero properties in your area. It's because I like put all these random filters together and you know somehow not a property slid through all of them. <laughs> well, by stalking, you also can backwards engineer via title who they bought from. You could start to see like who owned this before they bought it. How did they likely get in front of that? Was it ever listed or did it happen off market? Was there a death? Did I, was there a recorded death of joint tenant before it happened? Were they specifically targeting, you know, somebody where maybe the husband passed or, you know, 
you can backwards engineer and get far more sophisticated. And I love that you pointed that out. Out of state, don't assume that there's not opportunity in your backyard. I think there's like, oh, you know, the price point's too high here. I've got to go somewhere else. I think it's helpful to start where the data talks to you. If you're going to a market that you don't know anybody from Adam, you don't know the state and the nuance, I'll give you a great example. I built to rent in Florida. If you're buying land in a specific part of where I invest, you have environmental problems like endangered species where you think you're getting a sweet deal on a $5,000 lot, but you've got a $40,000 endangered species problem that won't allow you to build ever. <laughs> you might also be in a flood zone and you may not know that the flood zones are increasing. That's going to cost you $25,000 in infill dirt before you can even get the party started. So it's stuff like that, thinking that you're going to go outside a state because the numbers make more sense for you. Start local where the data means something, even if you're just exploring and get comfortable. That's really good advice. What are some unique filters you've seen that people had luck with, you know, like, you know, for example, like out of state owners or high equity, we could keep going back to those two, but any other unique filters do you think are valuable to people that they don't maybe come to mind right off the top of that? Yes. And I think I like it based on local Intel. So maybe you're somebody who's really following your planning commission locally, and you're really up to date on economic development. And you know, like there's a big especially in Texas, you guys right now are, have a really interesting scenario where you've got a lot of people moving in, businesses from out of state, where are they located? My sister moved to Austin several years ago and she accidentally bought one mile away from where several tech companies are building outside of Austin. And immediately her house went up like a hundred grand. It was crazy. So when you have that local intel and then you start taking that and then using public records to find the inventory type that you want and then targeting the owners, that's when it's really, really powerful. So before things become public records, how can you get in the way of that nuance? That's the good stuff. And Aaron, this is one of the few industries where like insider information is okay to trade on, right? So the more data, the more information you can gather, better for you, right? If you're following your local planning committee and you know that they're widening Main Street or doing X, Y, and Z on the west side of town or whatever, you can go out and buy property in that area, right? Or if you just have this data, you're able to make these decisions. That's totally kosher in the world of real estate investing as opposed to, you know, insider trading on Wall Street. Correct. Well, and man, I don't think a lot of people understand that getting involved in nonprofits and your local county government or city government, the some of the just the tidbits you can learn. Like I had a meeting with, I wrote a letter to a city manager saying, I love your city, but I can't build there anymore because I can't accomplish my 1031 exchange deadlines because you guys won't dual track permitting of septic and well with the county with my building permit. And it takes me four months just to get through that process. Do you know, he set up a meeting with their economic development, building and neighborhoods. And I got to meet with all three. And while I was there, they're like, we're redoing our builder code. What's been your experience? I got to have input from the investor perspective and they were grateful for it. While I was there, they told me that they were interested in land assemblage. So they were specifically looking for real estate investors who would go after these lots that people have owned for 60 years, but they can't find them because they live out of state and they wanted to rezone them. That information does not live in public records. It's because I took the time to write a letter and get personally involved. That's some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's some value right there. So, I mean, as much as you even dive into the data, there's really valuable data behind that data, really valuable content rather behind that data. Yep. I'll give you one other example. Upzoning is big in some larger cities because that, we need... What does that term mean? Like Upzoning... No, it's very popular right now because of affordable housing and we're not building enough housing. During the downturn, it's like the builders took a big breather. It just means you're going from maybe a lot that was zoned to have a single family home 
to they're going to allow multifamily up to four units or more. Who knows? Upzoning can look like different things. But sometimes upzoning has already taken place. Like maybe the house has been around a really long time and the city is like, this is a downtown environment and it's zoned commercial. If it burns down, it's never going to be single family again. They want more density there. So, and I've done this before in California, looking up opportunities where the lot is zoned for a triplex and right now on site is only a single family. And because of the accessory dwelling unit laws, you know what's cool about that? I could build a triplex and then three additional accessory dwelling units, basically turning a single family into a six unit. Yeah, now we're talking about adding some value. And that qualifies for one to four financing with Fannie and Freddie. So if you're a house hacker and you know that, it's over. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Aaron, let's talk a little bit about foreclosures for a second. I don't know how much you know about foreclosures or how much insight you have or kind of maybe any what's in your crystal ball. But, you know, here we are recording this early March. You know, we've had an eviction moratorium and forbearance going on for a while now, right? And there's a lot of speculation as to what's going to happen with possible eventual flood of foreclosures. Do you have a crystal mm -hmm. ball in that world? Do you have any idea of what's going to go on there? I follow the data. Yeah, foreclosures is definitely a skill set and tools we have in the app that have foreclosure data in there. The moratoriums are extended under the current administration. I expect a lot more money to be thrown specifically at this issue. It's a global pandemic. It's nationwide. Do all of us benefit from a wave of foreclosures and homelessness? No. Doesn't um, feel like it. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. And honestly, I think a lot of the media is going to pick up like, oh my God, there's been a huge jump in foreclosures. Okay, well, we're coming off of zero. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, 100% of foreclosures is not that many. And you know what? We're in a very different market. The liar loans, pulse loans do not exist. You actually, especially in the residential, I want to separate residential from commercial because commercial, you're going to have some different problems. Sure. But in the residential space, for the most part, you've had to qualify over the last decade. People are sitting on more equity than ever. And even if you bought you know, early last year, are you sitting on equity in Texas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not called a foreclosure. It's called a sale. <laughs> you might not want to sell. You might be forced to, but it's a sale. So I just don't think foreclosures and short sales, if you're setting up your entire business model on distress, you might be disappointed. Not to say that distress is always there, just not necessarily in the foreclosure realm. I don't expect a huge wave. Could something change in the pandemic, like a new strain? Absolutely. But if things and the vaccines roll out the way that they're doing, I'm not expecting anything major. So you're saying you expect it possibly, yeah, with when the eventual, let's see, let's make sure I get this right. Mortgage forbearance ends. There may be a forced amount of sales, but those might not be foreclosures because these homeowners will luckily, likely have equity in their property, meaning yeah, they owe 200000 on it, but it's worth 300000 Maybe they no longer have the income to support the mortgage payment anymore, but they can at least sell for a profit. Let's compare this to the last downturn. They were taking people that were upside down by half and they were extending their loan for an extra decade. They were rolling in and creating a second with a very small interest rate. I just think there's other tools at our disposal to make sure that people do not default. So I think we have the playbook and they're going to do a lot more of that. And we're in an up market. We have lots of equity. And so I think that same playbook is going to play out and it's going to be beneficial and it won't result in foreclosures. I actually learned a lot about what went wrong in the global financial crisis from the president and founder of Property Radar, Sean mm -hmm. O'Toole. He was recently on a podcast I was listening to called Get Rich Education with yep. my buddy Keith Weinhold. 
super smart guy and a really great conversation. I'll link that in the show notes for people to go check out. But yeah, he had some really insightful information as to what went wrong and how people were kind of playing with, once again, data to manipulate numbers back then. Yeah. And we're just not anywhere in the same market. And we've already got the playbook at the federal level. So I think they're going to, they have plenty of tools at their disposal to make sure that that doesn't happen. And let's be honest, Fannie and Freddie in the single family space own a lot of those loans. So they're going to take the lead. Now, not everybody has those loans, but (laughs) I'm an MLO, a mortgage loan originator. And I know that, you know, I have to, in MLS and how people have had to qualify over the last decade, man, I just have a really hard time thinking that the big banks aren't going to also play ball and it doesn't behoove them to have a whole bunch of distressed assets if they can make it work. So Yeah, sure. Well, Aaron, let's kind of talk about property radar. If somebody's interested in kind of diving into the world of data, you know, is this right for a certain person? Maybe not a right fit for a different type of investor. What does property radar offer? I don't want to discourage the newbies, but we are built a little bit more for the professional wholesaler and professional investor that has a very defined niche and really sees the value. It does get very overwhelming with 200 fields when you're new to the business and you're like, oh my God, I don't even know where to start. I would hate for you to have that experience. But it's that chocolate versus peanut butter conversation. And don't get lost. Don't give up on me. Community.propertyradar.com. You are more than free to ask questions there. You don't have to be a subscriber to Property Radar to ask questions about data and trends. And Sean and myself are there answering questions all the time. Uh, Property Radar has a free three-day trial. What I would do though is when you sign up for that free three-day trial, make sure you have time to play. Watch the videos. There's an amazing series of videos when you first walk in to familiarize yourself with all the different tools. And people use a tool in very different ways depending on their niche. So it's important to watch. And then sign up for one-on-one support. What are you trying to accomplish? There's probably a way to get you there faster so you don't get lost. I love it. Awesome. Well, Aaron, hey, this is a fun conversation. We could probably talk about data all day long. Some people probably are ready for us to stop talking about data. But yeah, if people want to go learn more about Property Radar, where's the best place for them to do that? Propertyradar.com. Simple enough. Awesome. We'll link that in the show notes. Before we wrap up, let's end with our lightning round. It's a series of questions we ask every one of our guests. Are you up for it? Let's do it. All right. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Getting out of my head and pulling the trigger. And the only way I got out of it is finally pulling the trigger and owning one. (laughs) I love it. Aaron, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Always learning. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite method of learning? Reading, listening to podcasts? What is it? Podcasts. I produce podcasts, so I go in and out. But I really love LinkedIn learning right now. Really cool. There's no excuse for people not to be learning. If you're not learning, shame on you. LinkedIn (laughs) learning is really fun. And learn things that you don't necessarily think you need to know. I study a lot of technology and trying to figure out how it's going to change living habits or real estate or where it's going to impact my industry. I love that stuff from nanotechnology to 5G uh, rollout to transportation and mass transportation. I'm a nerd. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. LinkedIn learning will definitely link that in the show notes. Aaron, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day? Fair enough. We can't answer Property Radar for this one. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I use Property Radar all the time. An online resource. Feedly is where I curate all my real estate news and pull it all into one app to save me some time. Okay, cool. I've never heard of that. All right. Yeah, we'll definitely link that in the show notes. What book would you recommend to the listeners and why? One House at a Time. I should know this by now. It's by John Schaub. It's the book that got me unstuck. So if you're thinking about being a real estate investor and you're just beginning, it reframed it for me and helped me pull the trigger. 
Cool. One House at a Time by John Schaub. That's a new one to me. We'll definitely link it if people want to check it out. Aaron, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Aaron? Better money habits. Better money habits. Drop the credit card. Review your credit card statement every six months and see what you're wasting and what you're putting on automatic pilot. You know, Check your lifestyle as you're earning more. Can you find ways to save more than you're spending? And instead of constantly keeping up, saving. I love it. Aaron, hey, this is a really fun conversation. I'd love to have you back on again to talk trends and real estate data and all this good stuff. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Until next time. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Bye. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively. 